Are you ready? Oh yeah! Let me tell you something, brother. If you're looking for the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be in the podcasting universe, then look no further than Ring Ring the the Bell. Bell. Bringing you the best in the world at what we do, and what we do is take over the world of wrestling reviews, baby. Now, Ring the Bell. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Ring the Bell and welcome to a very special episode. Let's get the formalities out of the way. First, I, of course, am your host, Andrew, and with me once again, all the way from Gosport, it's Mr. Ross Bell. Good evening, sir. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Thank you. Now, a bit of a departure here, because it's not just us two. There's a third voice here. I know. There's a third voice. Should we bring him in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, now here on Ring the Bell, when we do find the guests that we like and enjoy having on, we always find a way to get them back, to bring them back in some way. Sometimes it take a few shows, a few weeks, a few months. In this case, we've waited five years. But as sure as you can be sure that Tester break his nose with alarming regularity in early 2000, late 99, my God, that nose, you can be sure that we'll get them back. So without further ado, taking a break from explaining how to or taking a trip down that memory lane of attitude, please welcome Mr. Kevin Mann. Hello there. Welcome back. Yeah, God, they say you, you, you play Ring the Bell twice, once on the way up and uh, once on the way down. <laughs> so uh, it's great to be back. <laughs> God, you were telling me before we went on the air there, uh, 2014, eons ago that was, doesn't it? Yeah, God. it was a long time ago, especially in wrestling terms as well. Yeah, God, 2014 and still Seamus and Cesaro were somehow tangling it up all the way back then. <laughs> yeah, like, wow. Seems like only yesterday. <laughs> in the UK, the network was just about to launch. Yeah, and, and somehow... Daniel Bryan's you know, epic journey coming to an end. Yeah, that was uh, that was something because when that network came out, for some reason, everyone just assumed that like the way to ex- the people online who will tell you how to get and use the network were the wrestling podcasts. <laughs> yep. So for some reason, uh, myself and Cole Cabana and Jay Hunter <laughs> were just getting like hundreds of tweets of people going, "Yeah, how do I how do I sign in? What email information do I give?" And I'm, I'm not an elected representative of this. What a point in 2014 did seem like a scam, didn't it? The network. It did oh, seem yes. like, oh come on now, like yeah. No, 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 no. Value for money. Yeah, well, I don't know if the wrestlers would say the same thing since they've lost their uh, paydays, but other than that, yeah. (laughs) Right, so the reason this is a very special episode, apart from the fact that that Kevin's joined us, is we have decided to take on that that biggest question of all time. Who is the best wrestler ever? Yeah. (laughs) So we've uh, been away. We've done some research. We've thought about things. In Ross's case, we've drawn up a multi-point plan as to why... (laughs) Our guy is the best. And we are going to potentially answer that age-old question of who is the best of all time. Now, seeing as he's gone to the effort of making a seven-point plan, we should start by throwing to Mr. Bell himself. So, don't keep us in suspense. Unveil your plan. Who is your best? Uh, well, obviously Billy Gunn. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I picked Billy Gunn as well. Oh, oh dang it. <laughs> Now, I have an unnatural love for Billy Gunn, but he isn't the greatest ever. Obviously, the greatest ever is... What What would the seven points be on that Billy Gunn plan? Like, at least two of them would have to be King of the Ring 99, I imagine. Surely, like... Picking them, sticking them, <laughs> kicking them. <laughs> yeah, six of them are arse-related, and then one of them is King of the Ring. Um, yeah, last point, he's got it all, like the one Billy Gunn said himself. Like, I mean, that's the greatest intro music ever. 
the one Billy Gunn. Um, no one man should have that many good intro musics. <laughs> I've, I'm watching 97 at the moment, and he's coming out to the Smoke and Guns theme, and that's a banger as yeah, well. It it's is. fabulous. He didn't he didn't miss of any of them, did he, really? No, he didn't earn any of them, did he? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, but no, my, my selection is, of course, the one and only Brett Hitman Hart. Ooh. Yeah. Um, we've watched some... Uh, some, some throwback matches on our commentary episodes recently and the ones that include Bret Hart are always the greatest I will go through my points my first point of course is his matches they changed the business just think back to his matches um, with Perfect in 91 uh, the Bulldog 92 and then of course those two matches with uh, HBK 96 the Ironman match an absolute favourite of mine I know Andrew hates it I'm not sure what your opinions on the Ironman match Kev but... well I mean uh, I've 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 always been, you know, I've had a soft spot in it for me, but the thing I've always heard about that match, which I think is very interesting, is that apparently the live crowd hated it, and they were leaving uh, en masse or booing, and uh, it didn't come across on, on TV. But everyone is kind of... I think it, it does get hyped up a bit too much, that match. Yeah. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be queuing up to watch it, but if I do Brett or Sean for how-to, that match probably will go on it. So I guess that says a lot about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic of the time. It, it, it does go on a long time, and there's, there's obviously no pinfalls or submissions during it so it's uh, different to any other Iron Man match but yeah that yeah. one and then of course the screw job those those four matches I think the Bulldog one and the Perfect one are just great great wrestling matches but the other two they kind of changed how we see wrestling these days I don't think you have guys that we've got now if those sort of matches didn't happen back in the day I think it's uh, important to point out, though, you've given him a lot of credit there for his matches changing things. I think that definitely is true. But with the case of the screw job, he didn't want that match to change no, the way the business does it. He wanted that to be a boring end, a, a rudden DQ. Like, that wouldn't change the business now, would it, Brett? <laughs> no, that's a very fair point on that one. Yeah, um, yeah more of just, he was just involved in that. But, yeah, I think the, the smaller guy, especially coming in after that era of the, the well, Hulk Hogan, basically. Um, it was a necessary change and one that changed the business going forward. Did you consider including the Owen match for Mania as one of his the, the big four moments? Because that, for me, kind of that was the the match that kind of cemented Brett was the top guy. Like I think, I remember watching that back in '94. You know, he had the stuff of the Rumble and Luger. Yeah. And it was the the, the first post Hogan Mania. You know, this was who's going to be the flag bearer for this company now. And I think that match opening mania, kind of that was okay. They they put they picked their guy right. This is who they should be following. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, it, it factors into it. It does kind of come up at a, a later point in one of my other um, points, Ooh. actually, Andrew. <laughs> so yeah, that's my my uh, my first point. Um, my second point is promo development. He started off. Very shaky in the promo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he certainly did. Yeah, <laughs> having to leave those shades on to not be too embarrassed and to actually get his promos out. But by the end, and I'm talking the when he turned heel, basically that oh classic that Brett era of Brett. He was doing some fantastic promos, especially ones where he sat in a wheelchair. I mean, to be able to <sighs> just sit there and to get that crowd so angry with you was uh, a work of genius. I think. Here, now, here's something I want to ask both of you guys about, about this uh, this business with the promos here. I agree, uh, watching 97 at the moment, and I, I have the thing in the back of my head, because I never watched Brett week to week, kind of. He was someone I discovered later on into my fandom, yeah. and I, I never viewed him as being a great promo guy, but I'm watching this 97 raw, and it's right at the peak of that, you know, frustrated, really pissed off, amazing promos. Yeah. 
and I reckon a lot of that is probably down to the fact that he was legitimately very, very pissed off at his lot in wrestling. You know, as a, one of the most upset bit millionaires on the planet at the time. <laughs> um, but I was doing this, you know, episode on Mick Foley for how to wrestling recently, yeah. and it feels like a lot of wrestlers do that whole thing where they tap into that uh, misery and anger <laughs> and frustration. And I just wonder, like. Are you considered a great promo if you can only give a great promo if your real-life circumstances make you so fucking pissed off that this bile just spews out of you? Like, if Brett was having a cracking time in 97, the promos probably wouldn't have been as good as they were. Those are the product of him actually having a really rubbish time and then writing the show around that. So, I don't know. Like, do you guys think that, you know... (laughs) I mean, see what your other favorites. But like, what is part of that emotional tilt to it? Does that take away or adds to you being a great promo in wrestling? I think there's something there with not just Brett, but a lot of guys. You look at, sorry, divert and look at Austin when he did the ECW um, promos. Yeah. That was tapping into his frustration in real life with the WW exit, mm. and that was where it's like, okay, this Austin guy, he's a hell of a promo because he had the anger to come into it. And you look at Brett late 96 with the, the shoot promo inside the cage on Raw, you know, oh, where yeah. he, you know, broke the fourth wall and pushed Vince McMahon over and that sort of thing. And that was, again, that was angry Brett going into 1997, of course, with the Michaels thing bubbling under. Mm. There was so much to tap into. Yeah, so, yeah, I think... That, Punk's promos with The Rock, that sort of stuff. Yep. That, yeah, mm-hmm. that's definitely... He was pissed off and he's letting it all out and not being afraid to. But. So, Ric Flair has to technically, therefore, be the greatest promo of all time because all through his big run, he's doing these great promos <laughs> in his head going, this is class, I'm Ric Flair, I'm the world champion, I'm rich, I'm loving this. There's going to be a cracking party later on, like. So, he has to be the best promo of all time because he still brought out the fire, like... Yeah, I think yeah. Flair probably is the greatest <laughs> promo guy of all time, isn't he? I don't think that's ever in dispute. Really? No, I, 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 don't uh, no, I mean, I mean, no, Brett, towards the very end, before Mont- uh, leading up to Montreal in those couple of months, especially around like the SummerSlam when the, the Hart family really reached its crescendo leading into, into that event. And the stuff Brett was doing on the mic was almost without equal. Because whether it was a real life, he tapped into it, he was firmly on board with what they were doing with his character that not everything was gold. He yeah. could do no wrong at that time. Mm. Uh, point number three, despite Vince wanting to go with his new muscle guys all the time, uh, Diesel, Lex, bringing back Hogan, that sort of stuff, Brett was always the guy they went back to. Uh, he was always the safe pair of hands to steer the ship and to lead the company through kind of tumultuous times. Business was down, wasn't it? So, but oh, yeah. I think Brett takes the, the can for that, but I think he, uh, he was always this solid guy. Yeah, post Mania Nine, like when when Hogan first went, well, and then obviously came back. Well, came back briefly, dropped it to Yoko at King of the Ring, and then went for good. Yeah, Brett was the guy they immediately turned to. You know, he wasn't always featured. He was in feuds over leather jackets with Jean Pierre Lafitte, but he was still <laughs> he was still in Hakushi, which was yeah, underrated. Great and but yeah, he was always the one they went to. I think it's because that post Monster era, when the the Hogan fans went down south with him, there was a new breed a fan and they saw this okay sized guy seem normal like a normal guy nothing special about him to look at him yeah and he just he tapped into that i think that that was one of the things that almost gets held against brett is that uh, a lot of people 
will neglect to ever you know say that Brett is their favorite or whatnot because he lacks a, a flashiness. He he mm-hmm. is his greatest trait is a great safe pair of hands. It's like describing yeah. a car as being like a really safe, like great family vehicle. Yeah. And Vince McMahon, even on commentary, the the drama in his voice compared to say Shawn Michaels <laughs> or Hulk Hogan or or even a, a a young Rocky Johnson where I'm at at the moment watching <laughs> a Rocky Maivia, I should say. Um, you know, it, it is very much the the tone of the voice where like, yeah, his superpower is reliability. Like he can't work. <laughs> Vince isn't as into that. Like even though it is the most useful thing and it was the best thing for the company. Like yeah, he was forced to have to put the belt on Brett because because of how good he was. Where these other guys yeah. would come in and just burn out straight away. Um, my fourth point is work rate work, wrestling these days is all about work rate Brett had the work rate back in the day and, and Sean did to be fair to the two of them they were the guys that were kind of leading the way with that but again Iron Man match the, the Bulldog match in 92 where he carried the Bulldog through the entire mm. match <laughs> yes yep. almost literally and yeah. then you, you said Mania 10 Mania 10 he pulled double duty that night had a cracking match yeah. with Owen and then somehow got 10 minutes out of uh, Yoko at the end as well God, that and, is and, the, and the Yoko has already wrestled as well yeah <laughs> That's like literally wrestling a fridge. <laughs> <laughs> These days, work rate is the thing that it seems to be the uh, the IWC is all about. And Brett and Sean led the way in that. And I think more Brett than Sean. Could Brett have hung with uh, the, the the studs of today with... Uh... You know, the, the people who are really taking work rate to insane new levels. Do you think it's fair even to compare that? I think he would have been a kind of a, t- a tad behind them. But then mm. he, I think he, he would have had a conditioning, yeah. But I think maybe not to pull off the spectacular moves at the level they do now for the length of time they do. Yeah, I think Brett never had like a spectacular, like, you know, he never had one particularly spectacular move, brackets feature for continuing with the car analogy. But he's, he's <laughs> overall, and everything that he did, he did so well. It kind of it always held up as a result. Yeah. Um, point number five is the professionalism. Um, I'm going to bring Austin and Michaels into this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Steve Austin wouldn't be the man he was without Brett putting him over. Um, oh, God, no. And there's, uh, he was just the ultimate professional. He did a job, uh, even to the bitter end. I think he wanted to do the job properly. He wanted to drop the belt to someone else other than Sean. Obviously, that's kind of the personal thing, but... He, he wanted to drop the belt on TV, or well, not in Canada as well, preferably, but he he wanted to go out the right way and he was kind of forced to go out the wrong way, but he helped get people over more than other guys of that era. It's interesting that you think that, like, in, in Brett's kind of situation, professionalism is more marked by a willingness to let other wrestlers beat you as opposed to treating your workplace <laughs> colleagues... Because, I mean, that's the thing with Brett. I always felt that with Brett and Sean, and I know it's a complex fucking issue, and yeah. it's so goddamn, like, there's so much to it, and so many layers, and they obviously, even now that they're cool with each other, there's obviously a deep-rooted hatred that'll always yes. be there. We all know deep down. But I always thought, as Brett being more of the veteran, that it was the responsibility was on him, almost like the older brother, like mm. he should have known better a little bit. And to, to if he was professional, I put it to you, if he was truly professional... He wouldn't have gotten into some like he would have been in fucking fist fights with Shawn Michaels <laughs> backstage in Raw, yeah, ripping clumps of hair out, yeah, jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's so fair. I mean, it's uh, it's it's interesting that like wrestling kind of always gets a buy with a you know workplace uh, what's safe and normal in the workplace, <laughs> and 
I, I challenge anyone to convince me that Bret Hart or anyone in 1997 was professional. <laughs> I think, yeah, when Michaels is making the Sunny Days comment on Raw, you know, should Bret have been like, okay, that was uncalled for, but have your little fun at the end of the day. He's yeah. the one, yeah, he's, he's, just, he's retaliated by, you know, going to Vince and it's led to the, the fist fight and everything. It's... I get he was professionally jealous and he was obviously feeling like Sean was, was the favourite, which he was. Yeah, he was and he was losing his spot. He? Yeah, exactly. And uh but yeah, it's I suppose well we suppose we spoke about this on the podcast before. In the years since Montreal, which is ridiculously long ago now and how time flies, the opinion of yeah. Brett has changed publicly. It's like, oh well he was the wronged, he was the victim, but now it's like Oh, he's the whiner. He's the complainer. He got what he deserved. Is that what Twitter will do, huh? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as a as Brett is your guy, has your opinion ever changed of Brett from post Montreal, what we thought we knew and what was being reported all over, to what seems now? Has your view ever changed on who was wrong, who was right? No, I'm still firmly no? in the camp that Brett was screwed, and <laughs> it was. Should he have just lost the belt if Vince wanted him to? He probably should have done, but then we've all been in that situation, haven't we? Where there's someone that you hate, and they want you to do something. They want you to do something for them. And you think, well, no, why the fuck should I? Like, I don't like you. Like, I'll, I'll drop it to this other guy, or he wanted to drop it to Austin, didn't he? Or someone like that. Shamrock. Shamrock. Um, yep. yeah. I mean, Shamrock mm-hmm. deserved the run with the belt, even if it was a one day. He would have been a an all right transition, and Sean would have beat him on more the next night. It's <laughs> there's yeah, exactly. Could yeah. But I mean, but Brett was still under contract for what, another two, three weeks, a month after that. Yeah. You know, get to the next night in I think it was Hamilton, get to the following week back in America, mm. do a 20 minute main event on Raw with Shamrock, put him over, raise his hand. Brett walks out as a, a beaten champion, idolized by the universe before there was such a thing. And that's it. He can go to WCW, get his career wasted, but he can do it over his head held high. <laughs> I do like I that. like the idea of someone uh, wasting their career with their head held high. That's like uh, a, a great I'm proudly image. Proudly doing like, this. I will proudly have this match with Terry Funk, even though I'm concussed. Oh, I will God. do it with with great aplomb. <laughs> I do like on Xbox podcast that you're still pushing that this is all a massive work and it's the biggest work in wrestling history. Wouldn't wow. surprise me. Wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Obviously, but it's to the yeah. point now that it wouldn't blow my mind. You know, like there's loads yeah. of things where people are like, oh, I bet this is a big kept secret. It's like, well, there comes a point in wrestling when it's like, where it goes from, you know, Montreal is, God, it's so, it's over 20 years ago now. Like, so, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, if it is a screw job, that screw job is now public domain. And likewise, <laughs> if it was the work, the work is also public domain. So it really doesn't matter one way or another, does it? No, that's very fair. Um, point number six he's the complete package um, Hogan came before him he had no work rate um, Flair also around the same time as Hogan he had pretty much the same match all the time I don't know if you've reviewed Pick Flair but I, I don't I don't like Flair um, <coughs> Sean and Austin they're obviously very unprofessional uh, Sean losing his smile and Austin taking his ball and going home when he uh, felt disrespected uh, Brett never did any of those things he had the, the complete package I think he had the complete package, but I would put to you that he only had the complete package for actually quite a narrow amount of time where he had the promo okay. and the work rate and the character and all of these things. Cause I like Brett's best matches. I think some of his stuff is like from like 94 and 95 and it's very yeah. overlooked. Um, but I think his promo work and his storylines were quite hokey, but that's a product of the time. Mm. I always wanted to see Brett in like 98 and 99 when there was a proper good crate of like 
flair happening at the mo at that time in the company and he could have actually excelled because he had that found that voice it's the most upsetting thing in the world to me watching this 1997 stuff at the moment and brett is killing it i know this is the best bit of his career yeah and it's a nine month part maybe and during those nine months he's injured at one point and he's takes a sabbatical at another mm. so it is it is quite um Shocking, I guess, that Brett, for someone who is, I would say he is, he's the, the, you know, the total package. Sorry, Lex Luger, but Brett is. <laughs> like, he has got it all, but he had it all for such a very short length of time, and it felt that he never, I don't think he ever actually, he actually reached the heights that he could have, because he was never the top guy when the company was on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it yeah. was, the, the two things never massively aligned, uh, the mm. creative and the, the actual performances and the, the, the promo work and all that. Um, my last point uh, is number seven, his believability, his in-ring stuff, and we've we've gone back and watched stuff for commentary episodes. He makes what he does in the ring look real to the point mm. that his punches, I think, are some of the best thrown in the business. Um, we obviously watched Cena on the throwback episodes, and <laughs> yeah, they can't compare to that. Um, but yeah, everything he does, he makes look real and makes it look like it, it takes stuff out of him when he's doing moves to other people and plays plays the character of a, a wrestler incredibly well. That's a very playing the character of a wrestler very well because that is his gimmick, isn't it? Yeah. Bret Hart, the <laughs> fucking wrestler. wrestler. Like, yeah, I love it. Andrew, anything on that? Uh, um, no, I think it's a very, at most points, a very convincing seven-point plan. To be Ooh. honest, uh, yeah, I, I look back and you know, I the time I was watching my first event I saw was for Summer Sam '92, Bret yeah. Bulldog, and I, my, I, I don't know why I remember it. '93 Mania in Las Vegas, Caesar's Palace. And I remember the Sun newspaper in the UK did a big centre-like pullout on WrestleMania 9. And Brett was like the focal point. He was the actual star. And for an event that had Hulk Hogan on it, Brett Hart, at least in the UK and in Europe, was promoted as the biggest guy on this card. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. And I think that's a a big part of Brett's career that is massively always overlooked. And Mm -hmm. you could add that as an eighth point to your plan. I say Brett is the first truly international star because brett like he's got like an alarmingly strong following in so many random countries because when business went down domestically wwf started going to australia and they went to israel and yeah they went to they went to a lot further afield as a result that brett has these really passionate pockets of fans like india or were obsessed with brett hart Mm. which i don't think hogan even could ever say that or rick flair i think there's a certain americanness to their appeal whereas brett because he wasn't an American wrestler, he was a Canadian wrestler wrestling in America. Yeah. I think he became the first like world champion that actually that carried a bit of weight with it. That he was recognisable and a superstar all over the world. Yeah, massive in Germany, I, massive in the UK. Yeah, yeah, across Europe as well, Japan. Even you know, Brad had a massive following there as well. Mm. That if if it wasn't for that following worldwide, his '97 heel turn wouldn't have worked anywhere near the same level. It, even though it was based yeah. on America versus Canada, the fact that he had that worldwide following because mm-hmm. I, I remember the videos in '96, '97 where you saw like in '95 where you had fans queued around for hours to meet Brett in, in India. Yeah. I remember those videos. You know, they plugged them all the time. It was like come and see Brett, and it was just ridiculous. To, mm. to watch that someone, a Canadian wrestler wrestling in America has this kind of following in somewhere that you wouldn't think would be able to see WWF TV at the time. Yeah. And it, yeah, actually think about it. who, what major star in the last how many years has had that kind of worldwide following uh, in that era? 
I don't so, know. And, and not just in one place. He had it no, everywhere. all over. Yeah. And I think it's that it was Brett's hard work paying off because when he came to those places, he knew it was a big deal going to, you know, whatever country for the first mm-hmm. time and WWF yeah. defend the belt there. So he probably put on better performances in those house shows on those tours and you were probably seeing on most of the you know superstars or whatever the squash matches on tv were like he was he he earned that fandom one fan at a time i think like hard work like and i think to your professionalism point as well the amount of reports you remember hearing back and reading that even on house shows in you know little towns that a lot of guys just show up and phone it in brett wouldn't yeah. Brett would go in that main event and he'd have 30 minute matches with whoever was on top at the time. It could be with, with the Brett and Owen series that went all over the country and all over the world, you know, post post 94 when, you know, when he won the belt from back from Yoko. Yeah, that they put on clinics all over where a lot of guys, especially that you hear guys now, they show up, they do their moves, they pose a bit and then they're off. <laughs> Brett never did that. Brett would show yeah. up and work, work every night. And yeah. he did earn that all those fans one by one because of that. Yeah. I've got a couple of cons. Like he was the, the the top of the company when it was at his lowest point, arguably in terms of ratings and numbers wise, and also the WrestleMania match with Vince McMahon. Um, but we'll wow, I had forgotten about that. Wow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He actually literally sat in a chair for most of that match in the middle of the ring. <laughs> Do you think he was right to come back when he did, or should he have just stayed firm and thought, "I'm never going to work with Vince again"? Did he need to come back? For the closure, or did his ego want to get one over on Vince on TV? And he, he needed to come back. He needed closure. Yeah. He didn't need to come back and wrestle. That that hurt me a lot watching him plod around rings and in that. I'd suggest he didn't series. come back and wrestle. To be honest, SummerSlam he was in the five and five, wasn't That's it? it yeah. Where he could he couldn't obviously get pinned. He couldn't actually wrestle because of his insurance. Yeah. So he had to just do a few moves and get DQ because he couldn't get pinned or whatever it was. US that meant that so run. much more that little bit that he did in that Nexus match. It meant so much more than that entire thing with Vince at WrestleMania, yep. which was yeah. just in really odd taste. Like, but I think you know the way I viewed it is that Brett was uh, was such a toxic relationship with wrestling. I mean, we reviewed yeah. this thing for the ITR podcast uh, recently, WWA, which is this like little oh, upstart, wow, yeah, yeah, upstart from uh, from Australia. And Brett is there, it's two thousand one, and he's fur- he's furious. He can't like go two seconds and bring it up like how he's been like Vince McMahon is a piece of shit, and like yeah. no one really, no one can kind of understand why he's still so angry because it's four years later or whatever. So I reckon like whatever the fuck he needs to do. If he needs to wrestle Vince in an Iron Man match at WrestleMania, go fucking sixty minutes. Whatever he needs to do to work his shit, because I think wrestling owed him that much. He gave so much to wrestling yeah. that I felt at that point, you know what? You go in and you fucking have your fill. You do whatever the fuck you need to do because the show's boring anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you go and fucking drink your fill and have your weird fucking match with your family and your family's lawyers, whatever the fuck oh, else God, is out there. Weird. It was so weird, <laughs> but. He, you have to admit, after that angle, there was a change with Brett. Because even the Hall of Fame, when he came back the year before, still guarded a bit angry. Yeah. That was him finally, like, he took a massive fart that he'd been holding in for, like, you know, 20 years. <laughs> a relief. A massive relief, yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't yeah. show up at Mania, did he? Not after Hall of Fame. He refused to be at Mania and yeah. actually come out yeah. in front of the crowd because... Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't there yet. He, he yeah, had to go to a company that still at that point thought it was appropriate for Howard Finkel yeah. to go, Bret Hart <laughs> does not feel comfortable being <laughs> here. And it was like, boo. Like, they, yeah, if they're going to do that to him, they were still disrespecting so him, I think. But he must have been sitting in the hotel and watching Mania thinking, and that's why I didn't do it. Because <laughs> exactly. Justified. he knew. Yeah, well, there you go. There's my, my reasoning why Bret is the best ever. 
Um, did you see much of his WSW stuff? Uh, yes, some of it. Uh, let's not talk about that, shall we? <laughs> I, I, he had the odd moment. The, Mayhem, the he won with, the belt from Benoit. Uh, match with Benoit. And the other the match with Benoit cage. as well. In, yeah, and the one they had in the Kemper Arena, yeah. where Owen died. He Basically, had the match anything with Benoit. Benoit. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. There you go. Who's, are you going next, Andrew? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the next one. We've mentioned him a fair bit, and there's a whole bunch of cons to work through, but the, for me, the pros are still there. Um, I've got to go with Shawn Michaels. Oh, here we uh, go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those... Uh, for a time, I was thinking, could it be Flair? You know, but I, I look at... I saw all at... Flair is you watch, you, you're looking a lot going back. You know, you're watching footage on the network on youtube with that thought in your head of what well, people say he's the best so this is what i'm watching yeah i remember watching michael's you know from 92 93 onwards when he climbed up the, the ladder and i watched the, the iron man match and even back then i thought it was shit <laughs> um and That's all funny. of it up to when he <laughs> and then his return which she shouldn't have been able to do but somehow he did and he did that for another god knows how many years mm. and just the body of work he had and same as with Brett, you know, him and Brett revolutionized the smaller wrestler. Yes, they were thrown in because there was no one else at the time, but they took it and they dealt with the bad ratings because they knew they could do it. Yeah. You know, from 92, when they were having their little feud in a, in a ladder match at Survivor Series 92, you know, when they were still best of friends and everything was all hunky-dory between them mm-hmm. and and onwards. And then Brett obviously took over, but Sean was still there and he did the stuff. With, I mean, the, that ladder match with Razor Ramon changed the ladder match completely. Yeah. You know, that match is, if it wasn't for that match, we don't get potentially TLC with the Hardys. You know, how many guys have you heard they watch Shawn Michaels growing up? They idolize Shawn Michaels. Mm. You know, the, the guys that we see as legends in today's wrestling would not be here, potentially, if Shawn Michaels doesn't climb a ladder in Madison Square Garden. If I'll Shawn... tell you what, as well, about Shawn, like, you, you talk about, you know, uh, wrestlers and you needing Shawn there. When you talk about that return, 2002 to, what was it, 2009 or 10, thereabouts, if he wasn't there, that show would have fallen to pieces. Oh, hell yeah. Did you ever watch any of 2002 when there's no Steve Austin, Triple H is on top, and there's no Shawn Michaels back yet, and there's like, that's it, that's your fucking, that's all, like, you know, Triple H. Yeah, because yeah. oh, like, I remember Sean has kept that that thing yep. going. Like, because you think back all through, through early, through, well, he came back in August two thousand two with Summerham. You think of January through to August two thousand two. You had Triple H come make, making his big U two fueled return. He came back with that. Then he won the belt and squashed Jericho. Jericho then became nothing. This this is it. We have the Triple H show, yeah. and then all of a sudden, Michaels decides he can go again. If Michaels doesn't come back what the hell does that company do? Because Michaels, for someone who had no right getting back in that ring, whether it's supposed to be a one-off or not, he single-handedly held that company together. Oh, yeah. And he, which he is made... an indictment on the company. But... <laughs> wow. But he made Randy Orton, he made John's, and I don't think he gets the credit for this. Like, I no. think he's, he was the first person who made anyone set up and say John Cena can be a, a credible wrestler, yes, yeah. not a world champion. Uh, if it wasn't for him, I think Edge and Randy Orton never would have gotten over in the way that they did. I think Ric Flair even having his send-off and having, you know, 
be able to have great matches with Shawn Michaels several times before that mm-hmm. retirement match. There's so mm-hmm. many people who owe so much to Shawn. And to think as well, and I'm not going to say very often that Shawn Michaels is a selfless man, but to think <laughs> that he went that entire second run with that one short little championship reign that was only like a week or two, and he didn't even want it apparently, yep. where yeah, he won he, it back in 02. Yeah, so fair fucks to him for that because if you're going to be that shows that he does and no one can ever question that Shawn Michaels did love wrestling first and foremost because yeah. he wasn't coming back just for, for glory and uh, self-ego maybe a little bit but he does love doing that more than anything I think once he had his return match and he realised I can still do this and mm. I'm still good at it and obviously at that time he was a different person personally he had stability and you know elsewhere and he realised what there was, and yeah. he looked in that roster, and he okay, they get the, the the title thing out of the way, and he did the the, the ego stuff with Triple H, that oh, interminable three stage of hell match they had, which went on forever. <laughs> they, they, they they got a bit indulgent in that feud, didn't they? Little bit, yeah, <laughs> little bit like. You but know. then once that was, and once because that was Bumble two thousand three, where they did the uh, I think it was a, a draw to a lot in the last man standing match, and then he moved off to Jericho, and obviously Ross, me and you have done the Jericho. A mania match for our commentary show One of my and that feuds of all time yeah and even though jericho didn't need to be made if he's even though michael still won yeah the fact that jericho hung with michaels and they put jericho over yeah is you know even that someone like chris jericho who didn't need the rub michael's given him that at mania even in defeat jericho still gained hugely from that you look on for the rest of the year and onwards and onwards one michael's was the one guy and there's a lot of guys that could michael's never needed a belt Never needed that championship. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of times he could be given that belt from 2002 onwards, never yeah. needed it because he was above that. He he was just there. And I say it comes back to words and things I'd use, the professionalism. He put people over. He had no problem doing that. Yeah, but I remember he made Chris Masters the... look good. <laughs> <laughs> you bring up the P word again there, professionalism. Yeah. And I have to ask this of you, right? Because this factored majorly into my decision-making about who I was going to pick as, as my fave later, but um, it's not fucking exhausting always having to defend Shawn Michaels because I can't think you two have picked the two wrestlers who get attacked more often, like whose legacy gets drawn into question more often. I think Hogan fans have this shield where it's like, well, I, I like him, I like him even though he's racist, so there's no, you, you, can't, you, you can't even engage with them. But I would imagine you two would have to, quite tediously so, uh, have to defend and explain always because... Yeah. I imagine that you're not going to come in here and tell me that Shawn Michaels is is no saint like because you know there's there's a there's a, a shit shit list for Shawn Michaels a mile long you know it's a shit list for Shawn Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> but you I mean I, I was in preparation for this. I was looking back over the okay Iron Man match. Personal feelings aside, everything in that ninety six time since he won the belt onwards up to when he lost it to Sid at Survivor Series, the variety of p- opponents he had during that time and every match he had with them was was good, if not great. He had the series of Bulldog that was a lot better than people give it credit for. And he had the thing with Vader, which, okay. <laughs> move! <laughs> fucking move! Yeah. He made Vader cry. No one does. I mean, come on, Vader. <laughs> The, the Sid match at Survivor Series. I mean, Sid, Sid has never, ever looked that good. No. I mean, come on. Okay, the crowd obviously helped, but Michaels led that match, similar to how Brett carried Bulldog at, at Wembley. Sid was literally carried through Survivor Series with Michaels. 
And then, of course, uh, him and Mankind as well, don't forget. Oh, that, uh, yes. And that match actually shows as well that Sean, unlike a lot of top guys, wasn't necessarily always like, I'm the champion, I'm the ring general, this is the way I want to do it. A lot of that match is Mick Foley's ideas, and Sean said, yes, let's try it. And he was always very inventive and receptive to ideas, which yeah. I don't think a lot of top guys can necessarily... Like, Steve Austin ain't no, like, hey, let's try all the fun new things. <laughs> that shit ain't ever going to happen. Like, So Michael's no. definitely... that His passion shines through in that regard, I think. And at that time, at, my, at Mankind, they'd been the company since, what, May? Yeah, eight, 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 that 96, you're talking only seven months, yeah. six, seven months. The first and Man Cop- match as well. Yes, of course. You know, hugely, give and take of that rub. Doesn't need it, but makes Taker look like even more of a monster. And I remember the first match him and Taker had the month before at Ground Zero, which is the first time they'd ever yeah. fought. And it was, and for once, they actually publicly, you know, they weren't just making it up. They were correct. First time they've ever fought. Mm. And it was a great match. And it led, per- and obviously it was the, the side story to Brett's yeah, impending Montreal stuff. That the short, you know, Shawn Michaels never, never had a problem with getting destroyed. Ever get a problem with getting beat up in the ring? Mm. You know, when it come to it, the man would bleed all he needed to. Yeah. And despite, yeah, you know, look at there, yeah, the con list is just it's ridiculously long of the stuff he's done and wouldn't do and, and all sorts. Yeah, but here's when, my, here's a challenge for you then, right? Okay. okay. Uh, um, tell, explain to us then why it is you think that people hate Shawn Michaels. And bonus challenge: do it without bringing up Montreal Screwjob. <laughs> okay, uh, the Vader thing, especially yeah. you know, more recently, people look back and you know you made Vader cry, or how you treated Vader. Uh, the Howard Bulldog at uh, one not only where Bulldog was yeah. promised yeah. the championship, yeah. and he promised his cancer-stricken sister that he'd win it in her honor, and Sean got the result changed. <laughs> yeah, and yep. Uh, even little thing like after Mania in Mania 12 when he won the belt and he pushed Jose Lothario out the ring so he wouldn't get in his camera shot it's those little things that people just it's like well how dare he you know this company gave him everything and yeah it's is that one of the weirdest relationships ever it made no sense did it it should have been a one time thing yeah it, it is interesting. He definitely has a, a pattern of behaviour that might let, may, let people conclude that Shawn Michaels was, at the best of times in his early run, a prick. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, yeah. And, and you know what the thing is as well? And I don't think it's, it's right just to focus on Shawn pre-injury and then make out that it was all hunky-dory because you've heard the likes of Rob Van Dam, Hurricane Helms, lots of people coming out. And it's not the popular thing to do. To, to call out a born-again Christian say he's a bit of a dickhead, but apparently Sean had his fair share of moments being clean and sober and good with the Lord, so he still managed to find a way to rub people the wrong way uh, there's, yep, in, there's in that talk, period uh, as well. Him and CM Punk, he he tried to run Punk down you know, when Punk debuted. Mm. Uh, him and Triple H and certain one or two others would make their claims that he doesn't know how to work, look at the indie guy, chuck yeah. him in ECW, hey, yeah, you can sort yeah. him out, don't need Listen him on the main to the, roster. Uh, Listen to Beavis and Butthead in their mid forties. They know the best of business. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Big cocks on. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You guys yeah, seem yeah, to even, know what's up. Like. Even post return Michaels. Yeah, th- yeah. Th- there were stories, and even later on as well. There, yeah. You, there's still, you know, uh, the Cena match at Mania 23. You know, Michaels apparently furious after because Cena wasn't selling properly, and Michaels made it clear, and he threw a tantrum. Mm. You know, and this is 
it's those little things that the you know the post the, the newer fans who didn't see Michaels up to ninety eight they just know Shawn Michaels and they they watch the video packages and they watch the revisionist history mm. and they cover up stuff like that because Shawn Michaels is is this born again Christian. Uh, I think Michaels coming back is what kind of in my mind cements him as as the best because mm. he came, especially in two thousand three as we said but also for to, to last another set six seven years changing his not actually changing his style, keeping his style and adapting enough to fit in with what was changing around him. Because he he survived through some pretty fucking awful times in that company. Yeah, I mean, and his career bookended the Attitude Era, like, you know, yeah. so he's he's most successful during the two least successful periods of the last 30 years, which is, again, not an easy thing to do. It's weird when you've got not in that Attitude Era at all, really. I know. Yeah. When you've got the Kenzo Suzuki's and Mordecai's running around in 2004, 2005. Oh, man. And, yeah. And yet Shawn Michaels is still this this, be- this beacon of light and hope for fans. <laughs> like, there's something still here. You know, we're seeing Cena rise to prominence. Oh, God. You know, but Michaels, Shawn Michaels is veteran is still the, the man we're looking to to save us. Yeah. And he still held it. And he worked with other guys. He worked, let's say, with, with the Carlitos and Chris Masters. He beat them Sean because... Benjamin. Ben- yeah. Oh, the war. Mm. Benjamin. Um, going back to Cena, uh, do you guys remember the UK war they did? Where yeah. they went like an hour? Great yeah. match. Wow. Great match. Incredible match. Can, and- I, can I just bring up the return? I was waiting as well. <laughs> I hope someone was going to. Yeah. The 2018. Yes. The bold Shawn uh, Michaels. It's damn with a faint praise to say he was the best thing in the crown jewel tag. <laughs> you know, uh, up there with obviously the instability of Kane's hair mask. Kane's wig but... was the best thing in that match. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. You know, have you heard the interviews with the with the people who aren't with the company anymore who who were on those shows? No. Like Chris Chris Jericho and Jim Ross when describing their paydays from the Saudi shows. It's like they did a favor for someone in the mafia and they woke up the next morning with a mansion and they're really worried now. Like, oh, but Jim Ross, like, I got more money than I ever got in my entire life. I only was only there for three minutes. The biggest payday of my life. I got seven figures just to say hello. And uh, another seven figures to take off my fucking hat. Apparently, Jericho and JR said it was like the biggest payday they ever got in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And that crazy figure that was floating around for Shawn Michaels, which was uh, allegedly in the in the millions. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think that's how much he got because. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, inflation. Everyone was wrestling that match with the fucking... They were like they just pulled off the biggest heist of the century. They were trying to get to the fucking getaway car. They were scrambling with a frantic, unprepared energy. Like they had just come into big money. (laughs) We obviously, on the the podcast, we discussed, you know, is this going to tarnish Michael's legacy? Is this Mm going to put a slight dampener on the fact that he had the exit? He had... That was it. It And he'd stayed away. It was. He'd actually not done a Terry Funk or a Mick Foley or a Ric Flair. He had actually stayed away. He'd shown up now and again. He'd, you know, he'd throw a super kick. He might take a bump, but he'd always stayed out of that ring. And the fact that if he wants to come back on a normal, on a mania and he wants to work AJ Styles, we want to do Taker one more time or hell, do another Triple H ego thing. Fine. If you want to do it, you've got the itch. You're back in the NXT. You're in that ring. Fine. But the fact he did it under those circumstances... 
watching his bank balance literally treble mm. while he was in the <laughs> ring at the time. You know, well, see the thing with that now, right? With uh, with Shawn Michaels is I don't I don't care about wrestlers tarnishing their legacy, so to speak, because you know what you you, you what you're going to do in the moment for the moment fine that's your business as a professional but i am a great defender not of the past but of the future i feel and i feel that is actions by being in that match and the performance and how that match came across i think he is he's harmed any other potential matches that will come after that because i want to see any all those matches you mentioned aj and brian Mm -hmm. hell even undertaker i'd pay to see that for for shits and giggles (laughs) but uh i think all of those are greatly impacted now because the story is no longer i'm coming back it's I'm coming back again, and I've got a much bigger car this time. So you know, <laughs> it, it is is forever spoiled, and I don't care about his legacy being tarnished because I think his legacy still holds up. But any potential future matches and other people's legacies, I think that affects the legacy of Daniel Bryan, so to speak. I think that affects the legacy of of goodness, you know, even AJ Styles or even WrestleMania itself. That that is the 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 largeness of of how much I think that was a misfire that Saudi show. Bad idea, guys. <laughs> he had enough chances that he could have legitimately come back with a genuine story. Yeah. The, the Daniel Bryan stuff. Yeah, that, that, there was that on, time. They? Yes, that was it. That that was the perfect time. The yeah. AJ thing wrote itself. Yeah. The Taker thing wrote itself. Yeah. There were so many times when you say, I want you. There's no, I'm the, AJ, so I'm the champ for a year. I've gone through all the competition, but there's one man that I know is in this company somewhere down in, <laughs> in Florida He's the one I need to test myself against. Hey, there you go. Do, you, Done. do you remember the promo that Shawn Michaels did where he had to pretend that coming back from uh, the show in Australia and, and hearing what Undertaker and Kane said lit a fire in him? It's like, you know, I've sat on the sidelines yeah. for eight years, but seeing the Undertaker and Kane shovel dirt in a grave and talk shit about DX, I've, I've got to go now. I've got to go. Like, stuff with Daniel Bryan, yeah, it doesn't matter as much. But Kane and Undertaker in a graveyard, don't talk shit about me in a Graveyard, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, just one thing before we move on uh, to Kevin's. I think, that, yeah, as I said, his legacy, crown jewel or not, his legacy's there. One thing I do like that he could add on that is he's in NXT now working with those guys yeah. and UK in NXT. You know, he was there at the opening of the UK Performance Center last week mm. and he was backstage at UK Takeover. And you can already see his influence in some of the nxt workers you can see we commented on ronda rousey um her match with nia Jax and her selling and it was you couldn't help but seeing think she's been working on that and you had to think that's Shawn michaels because michaels yeah, sell with the yeah, best there's of not many better sellers i think in the history no than Shawn. and i think with the guys next he where they're 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 <laughs> I'll use the term, but they are high spot orientated because they've got those big moves. They've got the gift moves, you know, and they need that psychology to some extent. And Michaels is the guy, you know, down there amongst the many great people they got. Having Michaels down there working with the Adam Coles and the Jordan Devlin, who's Michaels part over is really strong and Velveteen Dreams even and people like that with Michaels working there day, day in, day out. The future is just, it's almost unfair on any other company, whether it be mm. New Japan or Impact or All Elite, that you know you can spend the money on these guys coming in. But in Florida, you've got Shawn Michaels working with these guys and what he can give them. That that's that's it. That's all there is right there. That's fair. Yeah, good points. So we have Brett, we have Shawn uh, rounding off the triumphant of greatest wrestlers. Who, Kevin, is your best of all time? 
Oh, well, this was a, an interesting one. I spent a long time thinking about this. Uh, and I was initially going to come in here and talk about uh, Mick Foley, who I think is probably is in, in deep, deep, deep down my, my favorite personality in wrestling ever. But yeah. I had just done near four hours about Mick Foley <laughs> for how to wrestling. And I feel like I, I don't want to repeat myself. So I thought I'd challenge myself and go, you know what? I'm going to pick someone who's on the current roster because... Ooh. The issue I have with historically always picking favorites who are people who are long in the past or long since retired or hopefully still retired in the case of Shawn Michaels, <laughs> um, I find myself and it kind of sets me up in this default stance that I'm not going to give the current product enough time because my favorite is in the past. So this can't be as good as my favorite because my favorite's not here. So I challenge myself to think of someone on the main roster, mainly because as well, I don't think Stone Cold Steve Austin would stand up over scrutiny. And unlike you two, I don't feel like, uh, you know, having to explain myself all the time, you know, because Steve Austin, I think has got a, a fair few uh, wrinkles to his psyche and his backstory <laughs> that may make me uh, lionizing him in any way a bit difficult. So I went with uh, someone who I've always loved. I love him for the first time I saw them wrestle. Every time I see them wrestle, I always, uh, I always enjoy myself. They have reinvented themselves successfully over and over again. And they have gotten their place, uh, their, their status has been achieved through, I think no one can ever make any accusation of favoritism or politics. Mm. And that's why my favorite is none of the Daniel Bryan, who I'll be picking. Oh. Uh, I know what you're thinking. Three guys here chat on a podcast and their favorites are Bret Hart, Daniel Bryan, and HBK. <laughs> They're not really going to be disagree with each other much. But I would put forth the case for Daniel Bryan as someone who I first saw as Bryan Danielson. And... When I saw him, you know, back in the day, that really blew my mind in terms of what a small guy could do in wrestling. And I was not necessarily aware of Brett or Sean. I was maybe quite ignorant of the groundwork that had been laid for the likes of Daniel Bryan. I think he definitely stands on the shoulders of those giants. And but Bryan always captivated me from from the get go because of his uh, intensity and the fact that he. He seems to love and breathe wrestling, but not in that way that, like, you know, like a Davy Richards or someone who, like, wants it to be real, and they don't have, they seem to take no joy in it. Yeah. Brian seems to take a great joy in the actual process of putting together a wrestling match. Mm. He has been successful as a technical wrestler, and by the fucking sheer force of will, he made himself a superstar in WWE. Like, yeah. he is the only person I could say is a super-duper star in the mold of both WWE and what people on the indies and whatnot appreciate. He's got both facets covered, because his comedy work, his character work, and I know we're talking about wrestling mainly here, but I think it's, you know, the character is part of it. His stuff with... Yeah, exactly. His stuff with Kane is yes. so goddamn entertaining. You know, his stuff with The Miz when he was general manager. Like, his ability now with promos, his promo his promo game is so strong at the moment. And, you know, just when I thought that Daniel Bryan, I might be a little bit, you know, not down on him, but less in interested, he changes his character as he's done in 2018. And it's now, you know, into 2019, it's one of the most riveting things on television. So he has actually managed to reinvent himself. I've never found myself sitting there going, come on, Daniel Bryan, would you reinvent yourself? He always catches me by surprise. You know, Jericho is always heralded as being the guy who reinvents himself, but he always invents himself six months after you're going, for fuck's sake, stop talking about yeah. TV movies or whatever, you know? <laughs> so Bryan is always one step ahead, and I think he's still 
for me with Brian there's a little bit of magic still I don't I don't know how he how he works like I, I could sit down and I could think I could talk with about Flair or Austin or Undertaker or Cena or any of these top guys and tell you I think this is their game plan this is how they work this yeah. is how they put stuff together Brian is a is a magician in that sense I don't know how he does what he does I couldn't even tell you if he's a great seller necessarily or if he's just great at doing a certain type of wrestling the whole package together always engrosses me so I dare you to tell me that there's a better wrestler walking this earth right now than my man, the Dazzler, D. Bryan. (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel about, obviously, the comeback, he's reinvented himself. I feel really uncomfortable every time I see him take big bumps because I don't think the injury that he had, it doesn't just magically disappear like like they say it has done. I mean, he has has taken, like, I was reading up about his... uh, his treatments and stuff that he was doing. And to say it's it's cutting edge, I say reading up like I'm, you know, being using my science degree for good. Cracking <laughs> <laughs> double bill at Total Bellas where they went to the doctors <laughs> and they explained it there and then I Googled it. So, uh, but he's been having like all things like, you know, oxygen therapy and cryogenics and all this stuff. So he has yeah. actually reversed a lot of the damage that was done. Like it's not as if he's still walking around with all of the damage he had two years ago, that has actually reduced. But you're right, he does have to keep himself uh, safe. And I would say that the way that he's managed to do that, and no one's going, see that soft style that Daniel Bryan's doing Mm -hmm. at the moment. You're still concerned for him, and rightly so. But he's still doing big dives to the outside. They're just not suicide dives. He's still doing you know high-impact moves. It's just not maybe a, a diving headbutt off the top rope. But he's still... Managed to keep that same style. Remember when Rey Mysterio like slowed down in like the later part of the ruthless aggression type time? Yeah, you know, and he, he stopped doing the hurricane round with the six one nine. It became like uh, something easier. Then it just became the six one nine was him just kneeling over or whatever and doing a leg drop. You know, it was really underwhelming at the end. Brian has not had a noticeable downturn. I think, even though he should be much safer, and he is. I guess you know he is safer. I trust him to be safe. Yeah, I think the the credit is that you can watch Daniel Bryan and you almost you forget that this guy was gone for two three years. You just yeah. think he's th- that's it. He's been there because his moves are still there. The drop kick, the running drop kick in the corner, he still does it. He just he lands he lands more side on the side now. So it doesn't the move hasn't changed. He's just protecting himself. It doesn't affect your viewing. You still have that or the the Brock match. Well, that's a suplex. Uh oh. But yeah. you don't. You just. He's been there. You don't. You yeah. It's how he's re- like reinventing himself, but still kept him. I mean, the whole what he's doing at the moment is just well, it's it's remarkable. Daniel Bryan's yeah. consumerism is <laughs> it's just it's just it's incredible how he's taking his character that you know we've always been told Vince McMahon you know, he's a vegan. Why would Vince like Daniel Bryan? His gimmick is that he's a vegan and he's just going with it. And but he's done it in a really, like, it's not cheap, you know? No, no, no. And, and I speak as someone who, like, I, I, I was at one point a vegan, uh, not for, for, for moral or ethical reasons, for personal health reasons, and Daniel Bryan was my inspiration because he had a lot of uh, encouraging things to say on the matter. But I never would have thought you could have done a wrestling vegan character or a wrestling anti-consumerism character, me being the, the lefty loony that I am, that I would be able to enjoy it. And I absolutely adore it because he's doing it in a way that's going to make someone go, wait, what's he talking about? No, there's no way that a hot dog. Oh shit! Like so, he's working. He's he's working them woke style, and I'm liking that a lot. Like what he's doing at the moment, it's great. He's everything he's saying. You know he believes it. It's just the manner and the intensity and the fact that he's 
refusing to let there be a dialogue between him and the audience. Like, he's mm-hmm. shutting it all down. No T-shirts. Ripping yeah. up the signs, you know. Calling people fickle is such a dick move as yeah. a wrestler. Like, <laughs> of course I'm fickle. I'm at a wrestling show. <laughs> I'm, I'm finding it hard to pick pick him apart in the same way that we can yeah. pick Brett, we can pick Sean apart because I didn't see him pre-WWE. I don't tend to watch much stuff that's not WWE. When he came in, they tried to bury him as much as they could with Cole on commentary. That's not down to him. That's their opinions on small wrestlers who are yeah. geeks and nerds. And the stuff with AJ, um, this is on-screen girlfriend, that wasn't great. But again, that's not down to him. I wish the feud with Punk would have gone on longer. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of times with him like where I think the biggest criticism you could say is, I wish this went on further. I wish yeah. they did more with this. And I think, you know, there's still a part of me to this day that will always be bitter about that, you know, 18-second match yes. with James, whatever. Yeah. But here's the thing. Every time he came up with something like, oh, you're doing this fucking, you know, goofy gimmick with the bell. It's mm. like, well, he found the love of his life, and now he's a millionaire yeah. from the student reality <laughs> show. So that's okay, I guess. Or, yeah, you got beat by Seamus in 18 seconds, but you managed to build momentum and a rock-solid grassroots fan support from that that you mm. main-evented WrestleMania two years later, and people are clamoring for you to do it again. So he has a great history of, like, failing upwards or, like, succeeding in spite of a lot of roadblocks in front of him. Yeah. I remember it was after the, it was the night after the, the the Sheamus eighteen seconds. It was it was the raw after it was the raw after Mania crowd, and the Rock was cutting a promo, and the crowd were chanting yes, and they didn't care what the Rock had to say, to the point where Rock had to even acknowledge it and put Daniel Bryan over. And you think this guy was was buried on pay per view last night in the opening match. You know, the year before they had been scrapped from the from the main show because of time, yeah. and now this guy has got three letters over, and. <laughs> Then, yeah, and then the rock um, is just there like all right i'm gonna have to google daniel bryan and this zach ryder kid because they keep chanting at me because it's 2012 like <laughs> and then two years later you know punk walks out and daniel bryan has just literally captured the mind and i mean i i was in a bar in london watching the rumble that in 2014 and the support there watching strangers around you who you've never seen before but all have the same opinion Daniel Bryan is the guy. And then you watch all the shows leading up to Mania and then post Mania. And it's just this, would, oh, this shouldn't happen. But would, the fact <laughs> that it has, it's a victory. Would the power of fan support got him to the point he got to if Punk hadn't left? If they didn't uh, Punk stuff he'd wanted, would it, would they have gone with these two guys? At the well, top? no, because I think was it Punk Triple H was the, there was a Mania plan. So straight away, that takes Triple H out of the Daniel Bryan stuff. Mm. So Daniel Bryan would have obviously had the authority thing from when they screwed him over at SummerSlam the, the, the August before, but he would have done stuff with Kane, and that would have yeah. been his level. That would have been it. Oh, no, I sorry, still think though he actually, would have eventually. He would have eventually gotten his moment in the sun. I think, regardless of Punk leaving or not, yeah. I think people give. Punk's performances uh, at the time a lot more credit than I think they were uh, d- than than maybe they necessarily deserved. And I think even if Punk in the ring at that time, so. that's it. Like yeah. even if Punk wasn't leaving, I don't think you know. Even, don't think people are going to be queuing up to see a WrestleMania match where him and Triple H are going to exchange short arm clotheslines, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, and really sloppy top rope axe handles like for an hour. You know, I, I think with Brian, I think the thing I'm most grateful for him 
is that he taught me just to chill the fuck out a little bit as a wrestling fan because here was my guy who was my absolute fave and then he gets signed to WWE and I was so happy and then I find out NXT is this weird show and I'm fucking miserable about it and I'm I'm using Twitter for the first time ever to talk about my displeasure and then they bury him on NXT and then you know, all this horrible stuff and then he got fired with the next <laughs> stuff remember yeah. that I was outraged I've been so outraged and so many times with Brian where it's like you've taken my precious fucking my precious heirloom here my favourite thing in the world Mm. and you've used it all wrong and you've fucked it up you're going to mess it up and then you know what it ends up being okay and that's happened like four or five times with Brian to the point where now if something happens in wrestling and it's like this is fucking egregious I'm like you know what I will take a second here now to calm down and think that it may actually be alright in the long run because if it was alright for Daniel Bryan in some you know nothing that's happened at the moment is quite the equal of sponsor says you have to get fired because you used a tie you know there's no you know in all retrospect I think Bryan has shown that things can work out and yes outrage is a powerful force in wrestling but sometimes Support your faves, stick by your guns, and things will work out well. Because Brian has had a fucking a, a roller coaster ride that no one could ever have imagined. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I was always a punk guy more than a Brian guy, and I kind of got on board the Brian train once punk left, kind of begrudgingly because he wasn't Triple H or Batista or Randy Orton. But yeah, he's he's been superb. I I feel slightly different about his his new just him being in the ring. It still makes me uncomfortable, but. That's, mm. that's my issue more than him being there. If he's, if he's. But that's fine. the thing, right? Because with Seth, I, anytime Seth takes a bump on that leg, and he, yeah. he fucking that motherfucker. He's like, oh no, my knee. I'm gonna go away, yeah. again, guys. Oh no, I'm okay. It's okay. He's such a fucking dick. He keeps threatening, like you know. He's like, oh my god, I might be gone. I'm gonna go out that door if you don't react for the match, like. And yeah, I think, I think just with time, we're gonna have to trust Brian. You know what? I, I, I prescribe you a season of Total Bellas where Brian spends his entire two years off preparing meticulously this style to minimize his bumps. And he is so intense about it that he even makes Sami Zayn uncomfortable. Wow. So that's how wow. he's prepared. So watch that and you'll feel a little bit better. All right. I'll get on. I think John's a big old freak, though. That's the only <laughs> yes, upside. <he> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go, then. That's it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three very... I say very different. They're not very different, but in the sense of their the arguments put forward, uh, it's hard to pick apart the Daniel Bryan one, to be honest, because there are, there are no, there is no Montreal for Daniel Bryan. There is no. It's coming. With, Don't you worry. <laughs> it's coming, is it? You can't. You, you both of you lads, you've got your dusty old box sets on the shelf. Last <laughs> season is is still coming out new episodes of yeah. Daniel Bryan, so you can't compare our favourites here. It's, it's not really fair. I've got the edge, like. <laughs> Um, as usual, if you listeners have any thoughts on our opinions or any our arguments or counterpoints or your own thoughts, you can get in contact with us in normal ways over on Twitter at Ring the Bell Pod. I just want to thank, uh, firstly, Ross for coming back on the show and putting forward your seven point plan. And, <laughs> and also, a big thank you to Kevin for jumping in and offering his thoughts and his views today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let's uh, not wait four years to do this again. Let's say we should do it quicker next time. 2023, we'll get you back. (laughs) (laughs) Triple H still getting rid of his mania match. (laughs) Um, Before we go, Kevin, uh, for any of our listeners that don't somehow know who you are, I've seen we put you over enough on the show. Um, Do you want to let them know where they can find your other shows? Of course, uh, Attitude Era podcast, AE podcast about to start our fourth season very shortly, where we're going to be looking at WrestleMania 13 all the way through to 14. 
It's my first time ever watching through all of 1997 Raw, so if you feel like you want to help me and prepare me for this week-to-week nonsense, uh, you can hit me up uh, at AE Podcast. Or, of course, as well, How To Wrestling, the instructional guide to professional wrestling, which I do with my best pal and partner, Joe, that is available at howtowrestling.com. And there we go. So thank you once again all for listening. I've been Andrew. I've been Ross. And I've been Kevin. Andrew. Yes. Ring that bell.